0: another edition of the week update i'm your host will walker john craft is here welcome to the pod john
1: yeah i'm excited uh just finished blown out a very mid team so been excited uh been an <laughs> exciting week
0: that's right that's right
1: the grizzlies very average, a very average uh, basketball team
0: very very average the grizzlies right now are 43 and 27 They are tied for second in the conference. They are tied for sixth in the NBA. Offensive rating is at 113.9 per NBA.com. That's good for 16th Uh, in the league. Defensive rating at 109.9. Back to second in the league. Net rating at a 4.0, which is fourth overall in the league per cleaning the glass. Point differential is at a 5.2, which is good for third in the league. We are going to get into... Two huge games uh, that happened over the weekend, but before we do, we have to talk through a couple of news items. The first news item actually came out uh, about a week ago on March 14th, and it was that Diamond Sports Group officially, officially, officially filed for bankruptcy. We had talked at length about that in an episode a couple, maybe two to three weeks ago now, about the implications there for, and Diamond Sports Group, if you did not listen to those, uh, those episodes, is the ownership group that owns Bally Sports, which the Grizzlies use as their local broadcast uh, partner right now. And one thing that I thought interesting, and I'll let you comment in a second on it, Kraft, but one thing in all of this that I saw in an article that I read was that the, the default payment, which was around $140 million, which kind of triggered this whole thing, was all interest. And that was one thing I was curious about early on was how much of it was lost revenue for these teams that aren't getting their fees paid to them versus interest. And what we found is that um, all of the league and team fees have been paid and and that, that those aren't necessarily at risk. It's the interest that they use to finance the $8 billion or $10 billion acquisition, $8 billion of which was financed through debt. And so... Um, that's kind of where we're sitting right now. With that, we don't exactly know the path forward. We all we know is that we are set for the NBA through the end of the season, um, but we will be keeping tabs on that moving forward.
1: Yeah, I think this will be probably one of those fun uh, stories to follow in the off season as we figure out the fall. I think one one kind of note is that I do think that uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see the big markets versus small markets here because I think. Most of the teams covered by Bally were small market teams. And I know the uh, listening to different you know sports media podcasts, sports media writers, uh, I think the NBA uh, very much with the RSNs, regional sports networks, losing power, would love to stop the blackouts, I think, uh, which is very interesting. You know, it's one of those interesting things, but if there's no RSNs, you know, I think the the NBA would love for somebody to be able to get league pass and then in regions like Nashville, East Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, you know, and obviously in Memphis as well, for people to be able to watch the Grizzlies while getting league pass. Um, but, you know, obviously the large markets that aren't part of Valley um, that still have RSNs that make them a lot of money, like the Lakers, Warriors, Nets, Knicks, they're going to be um, – kind of fighting against that. So it'll be interesting to see what all happens with that. But I think overall, I think it's looking more and more like uh, easier access to Grizzlies games uh, for people who do not have a cable uh, uh, bundle. I think it looks like that is going to be positive direction for the fans in that sense.
0: On March 17th, Dylan Brooks was fined $35,000, and it was for pushing a cameraman on the sidelines in the game against the Miami Heat. Dylan, around midcourt, was going after a loose ball. It was going out of bounds. He saved the ball and then appeared to give the a cameraman a shove, which sent the cameraman falling backwards. And the NBA did step in and find Dylan. Dylan has since apologized, said he, he was planning to reach out directly to the cameraman, I did see a couple tweets from the Miami, any some Miami reporters about how that cameraman did and in, in, in fact get uh, slightly hurt. So uh, not a great situation, not a good look for Dylan. Um, he was fined, like we said, for it, and seems to be uh, apologetic. So, what did you think about that, Kraft?
1: Yeah, I just I remember seeing it on the broadcast and thinking it was weird. And then you know, uh, Pete and Brevin didn't comment on it. And so I didn't know what was going on. It was like, was that a fan? Was that a cameraman? It was hard to figure out. But, um, you know, I don't know. Dylan's one of those people. Like, I kind of thought it was felt weird. Like, it, it felt like that. Not, I mean, totally different than the Gary Payton or the Don Mitchell. But this sense of Donovan, that uh, Dylan was letting his frustration with the game uh, kind of make him just unaware of what's going on around him, and uh, so it seems, you know, I appreciate him saying, being apologetic, but it still seems a little weird, he he acts like an accident, I don't know, um, it's still kind of the mystery of Dylan, and who knows what's going on inside his head, But um, but I was really glad to see that he apologized about it, because I know, like you were saying, I think a lot of Miami Heat reporters and other things were really pushing then the Dylan uh, negativity out there the last few days, so I'm glad he's at least apologized and hopefully he can have a good conversation with the man he pushed.
0: Since we last spoke officially, we did have an emergency podcast about the um, the jaw comeback, but since we last had a weekend update, the Grizzlies have played four games. We are going to spend most of our time focusing on the the last two that happened over the weekend because those are definitely the most exciting and to me, the most significant. Uh, but the Grizzlies did blow out the Mavericks uh, in their second game against them, sort of like a set that they played a home and home. They won one hundred and four to eighty eight, um, held the Mavericks to under ninety. It was just a it was it was a an absolute blowout there. But then the, they turned around a couple days later in Miami um, and lost a very tough one where they just couldn't hit a thing, one hundred and thirty eight to one nineteen. The only time the Grizzlies are going to be playing in Miami this season, but then. Grizzlies return, or excuse me, they did not return home yet. They went to San Antonio, were down at tw- by 29 points at one point, and the Grizzlies came back, forced overtime, won 106 to 120. I would say it's in the running for the most exciting game of the year, even though it wasn't like an ideal um, situation that you would have wanted to be in to dig yourself out of, and then they turned around on Saturday the next night at home, and defeated the Golden State Warriors, their rivals, 133-119. to 119. John, the way that I thought about these two games is I made a list, just like the 10, from inspiration from, from the, our Chris Vernon show here locally, uh, 10 things we liked from the weekend, to, or just 10 things in general from the weekend. But I'm going to let you start, because you made a similar list. Where do we need to start with these these games?
1: Yeah, so I mean, oh man, where do I want to start? Uh so I mean, I'll just uh, I'll keep my my narrative going uh my uh, stay on brand with uh just how great offensively Jaron has looked. Um these, you know, honestly uh all four games uh been more aggressive. Uh you know, obviously the Dallas game was a blowout so he didn't play that much. Um but we, we've we been talking about, you know, I think uh, Jaron, uh, hopefully he's one of two probably in the running for defensive player of the year with Brooke Lopez. Um, we're well aware of his defense. And I might even get to that another thing, uh, part of 10 things. But I just want to say that his offense, his aggression uh, has just been huge and it feels like uh, some in some way, this could be one of those blessings in disguise for the Stephen Adams injury, for the jaw, in, for the jaw sort of staying, uh, stepping away from the team. and that somebody had to begin uh, to produce some points, and it just feels like Jaron's getting more and more comfortable being a focus of the offense. He's getting more and more comfortable with sort of double teams or with making a very quick move to the basket, just being aggressive. Um, even against Golden State he went really aggressive and i I couldn't even tell it did they didn't replay in the forum, but could have gotten blocked by kind of like draymond green um and others, but just went really hard to the to the rim multiple times, kept driving they could not keep him out of the paint uh and And I also just think his shot looks better. He's getting his legs under him more uh, on the three pointer. I'm getting to where now when he shoots it. He has a bane-like almost canard-like feel for me where I feel like it's probably going in. Um, and so I just that's been the biggest revelation because I really do you know I've been hitting uh, uh <laughs> I've been talking uh, over and over again about how the fact he's only 23. Uh, that that Tim Duncan at the end of his rookie year was 23. That that players like Kevin Garnett really became dominant forces around 23, 24. Uh, that for big men this is a big age, and there's just so much room to grow. He still hasn't had an offseason where he gets to practice on his offensive game and not do some sort of injury recovery. And I just think that is um, there's a big you know Tread a uh, uh, famous tweeter who's I think player agent, but Nate Jones was. Talked about it on Twitter, just people not realizing just how good Jaron is. And and my thought that he could some at some point get in the all-NBA conversation in the next couple years that he is going to be a perennial all-star, uh, this year was not just a weird fluke. I just feel like the last few games uh, does not submit that, but it shows promise to the fact that if he plays like this, the way he played against uh, the Spurs and the Warriors with this kind of aggression, I mean... Teams in the playoffs, I mean, this is a win playoff series type offensive performance he's been putting up the last couple of weeks, and so that's just been super exciting to
0: see. 100%, I think that uh, he has filled the void left by Ja in, in regards to us needing an option on offense to go to. I think that if you were to build a prototype of a player in the modern NBA, Jaron Jackson would be right up there with the type of player you would want as your, you know, first or second guy just in general. And I I love aggressive Jaren. Like it's the best when he has a mismatch down low and we feed him in the post, I feel confident at this point, like early on his, his career, he, he did look like sort of a a gazelle, just kind of like galloping around out there. And you weren't sure when he started Downhill on a drive, you weren't sure where where it was going to end. Now he even has this new move he's been pulling out. I feel like this season more than ever, where he sees a defender coming out to sit, take a charge, and he will euro step around them, like just the guys that are seven feet or around that area. You don't see doing it so fluidly as Jaron Jackson is. I think he is just finishing so well with his. That's the thing with he and Bain; like they both finish so well around the rim when they're falling away. And that is such an advantage because for Bane, it's that he do- he doesn't have the length that a lot of other wings have, and so he has to be able to work on the angles. With Jaren, it's more of a, a matter of he has he's so big that sometimes you you worry about his um, just the control. Down there, and yet he has unbelievable control, unbelievable length that he's finally started to really leverage consistently, and I think you see two ways. I mean, in both games, he was aggressive, and that was the common factor, which I loved, but you saw him really beat um, the Spurs in different ways than he beat the the Warriors, because in the Warriors game, he took nine threes and hit three of them, but like those were nine good threes. And against the Spurs, he only took three, didn't hit any of them, but still had a huge impact on the game with 28 points. And 31 against the Warriors, averaging 29.5 uh, in these last two games, both of which were very important. And another thing I wanted to comment on is his minutes played. In this Spurs game, he had almost 43. It was like 42 right. minutes, 47 seconds. And then he was back around 30 minutes against the Warriors. Right. And so it's just the, um, the durability we're seeing – um, and I think that's, you have to give credit to the coaching staff for seeing the long-term here. Like, right. these are the payoff games. If down the line, as yeah. we're seeing near the end of the regular season, or as we're ramping up for the playoffs, you're seeing the payoff of maybe not playing Jaron for 35-plus minutes in the first half of the season. And, like, what that can, those things can pay dividends down the line. So, yeah, yeah Jaron I mean, was he, so
1: Yeah, important. go ahead. Yeah, the most irritating narrative to me, about the Grizzlies is the, the Jaron minutes thing. I, I don't like very prominent podcast. I mean, if, if he does not win the defensive player of the year, that is going to be the sole reason. And I just, it makes no sense to me. Like he played 23 minutes against the Mavericks. Cause we blew them out. He only played 29 to 30 minutes against the Warriors because we blew them out. But anybody who watched that Warriors game, um, Realized that he completely dominated that game on both ends and, and, and crazy to say this, was the best player on the floor. Uh, he, he was the best player on the floor against the Warriors. That doesn't mean Steph Curry is amazing. Um, you know, Curry stands don't get on to me, but like he was the best player on the floor for night and he only played 29, 30 minutes. And, and, and it's just frustrating to me this minutes thing. Uh, that people are just so upset that he 's not playing thirty five thirty eight minutes well, maybe our organization is just better than yours we 're deeper we we care about our players in a way and we like to ramp players up so they have energy you know at the end of the season i just don 't understand why that would cost him um, an award but anyway but but point taken it 's just been great to see him and how aggressive he 's been and and honestly i mean like i said again he 's twenty three i mean i 've been enjoying his sort of being Doing kind of the Jokic thing of like starting outside, like you were saying, and kind of closeouts, and then like weirdly kind of posting people up, um, like from the three point line almost, and kind of backing people down. And obviously, he does not have the skill or the passing ability that Jokic has. But again, Jokic is a lot older. And so the hope is that Jaron continues to kind of get used to double teams and passing, that he continues to work on his touch around the rim. Um, I really just, I mean, his ceiling is so high and it's just very exciting. I mean, honestly, like you were saying, he the only thing he seems to be struggling with offensive foul-wise at this point is his hooks. And again, this goes back to just him just having these long arms that I don't think he knows what to do with. Like, I, I don't think he really is trying to hook guys to get an advantage. I just think he puts his arm out and it's just so long that guys are sort of like grabbing onto it. And he's getting those hook calls, but um, it's just been it's just been really impressive. And you know, if he was just as good as he is defensively, he would be so important to us. But I just it's it's a huge bonus, and I think gives me more hope for the playoffs if Jaron can play like this offensively for sure.
0: And by the way, the hook being one of the easiest calls for officials to just see because it's like right in front of them. And and offensive players are now, or excuse me, defensive players are now trained to where they when they feel that arm, you know, make it. Make it as evident as possible, um, and then oh, by the way, Jaron getting four blocks in each of the games, so it's yes. like doing it on both ends, and you really see the impact on the offensive end though when he's when he has it going. Okay, so that Jaron was right up at near the top of my list, uh, actually number two, but number one, I mean, Dylan Brooks is is making a comeback. I would say uh, with Grizzlies fans, I think that there we did hit a low point early in the season with that Cavs game with him, with him getting thrown out, um, the comments by Donovan Mitchell, sort of the framing of him, and then you combine that with the Draymond Green podcast. But since then, like, Dylan coming out and um, defeating the Warriors twice in a, since that podcast came out was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that he held Curry in the second game, which I thought was probably – if not his uh, best performance, one of the best performances of the season for him, like Curry shot five for 15, only had 16 points and was a minus 10 overall uh, in the game. And just, I mean, you talk about cultural impact, like Dylan to me showed why he is regarded the way that he's regarded, or as it seems uh, with the players in the locker room. I mean, just, um, Taking that burden on his shoulders so that guys like Jaron, who to me are just like very poised players, very play very poised. Um, he just takes the heat off of them in that in that respect. And Bain too. And so he he and not only that, and I think the most important part of these two games was Dylan Brooks actually delivered um, on offense. And he had the yeah. huge three against the Spurs to tie it up, to send it to overtime. But then he turns around and against the Warriors continues. His hot streak is four for four from three, seven for ten from the field. And so we are seeing, like, what efficient Dylan can look like. And, again, like, you should not judge players on their best days or their worst days. Like, the truth um, is without those outlier performances. But it does seem as if Dylan is a guy who steps up in moments when you need him. And at least as it seems right now, I mean, this is the thing, like when everybody starts to come back to Dylan, sometimes like he has a tendency to just turn around and do something stupid. And we were all like, why did we get baited into this again? So I'm guarding, I'm guarding my heart right now, Kraft, but I have to give credit where credit's due. And Dylan was, I mean, if, if Jaron had the best counting stats uh, over the weekend, I think Dylan had like maybe you would vote him as like most valuable if you will yeah
1: yeah no i i agree i think the the culture stuff like you said was huge and you know we've been we've been wondering uh, because uh you know i you know obviously like you're saying low point at that at cleveland's game getting booed at home um which i think fortunately i think that since the trade deadline that has passed uh haven't in home games haven't really felt that way um from people uh from the fans, which I don't like us booing players at home. Uh, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that there seems to be this regression because he couldn't have been that he's not that terrible offensively that he's been um, basically in January and February. And so it's good to see, and this might be, you know, a reg, you know a regression to me in the sense that now he's, he's being much better than he is average. But of course, I think we just need average Dylan um, to be an elite team. So it's been really good. And and I think, and I remember, you know, this was like preseason, uh, going way back, um, on one of our podcasts and you were talking about liking to see him drive more. And I think the Warriors game, um, and honestly, I mean, the Spurs, I think is a perfect, uh, example of this that I think when Dylan starts out driving or making sure that his pull-ups are in the paint, I just think he's way, uh, more effective, and I think that gives him confidence when it comes to his three-pointers. And so so I think in that sense, um, I'm hoping that that continues, which is taking it to the basket uh, hard. You know, hopefully if Adams comes back, and, and Tillman's been doing a little bit a better job too, but, you know, his – Part of what makes him great is when he drives and shoots in the paint. not only is he way more efficient than in the mid range, but it also usually ends up uh, us getting offensive rebounds because of some help. And so I want to see him continue that. And I think you know him hitting um, some really big threes uh, these last uh, these last couple weeks, I feel like has given him really co- big confidence in his shot and I hope that continues because it do, he, he doesn't mind taking the big three um, and the fact the last couple have gone in, especially obviously uh, hit two huge ones in the Spurs, uh, both to send it into overtime and in overtime, and and it felt like that confidence definitely carried over into the Warriors game. And so hopefully that, that'll continue and he can take that in uh, to the playoffs because we don't need an amazing Dylan in the playoffs. We just need average Dylan uh, and then maybe – in a seven game series, one or two above average Dylan games, um, to maybe pull off that win in the road we need or something like that. So, but that was, it's been very encouraging to feel like Dylan is not taking anything away.
0: Yes. Agreed. And just to put a finer point on it, when you look up Dylan's location field goal percentage so far this season, um, Breaking it out into which cleaning the glass does this is just great. They have non corner three, corner three, all mid range, long mid range, short mid range, and rim. He is only above average. League wide or in his position, league-wide, in one single category, and that is the short mid-range, where he's shooting 41%. He's in the 51st percentile, so barely above average there, but short mid-range is defined as shots outside of 4 feet but inside about 14 feet, which is the free-throw line distance. And if you look, I mean, just the eye test tells me the one shot that I'm actually comfortable with Dylan is in when he's actually dribbling across around that 3-point line and then has his, like, elbow fade away that he does. I don't love he's fading away, but he seems to hit more of those shots than not out of any other shots that he takes. So I'm actually okay with that. And to me, what that shows is he is being aggressive. He's not settling from the outside, but he's responding to maybe the defense collapsing when he does start his drive and is just pulling up. And he is, I mean, he's six seven. And so, like, he's able to rise up and and take those shots over um, defenders, especially when they get switched onto him in the offense, just the flow of the offense. And I think that's the main thing with Dylan, is we just want him to be in the flow of the offense. Like, if he can, um, you know, he's not exactly the most reliable three-point shooter, but if they're open, he's showing that there are games that he can make them, and in clutch moments, too. So, I mean, do I want Dylan uh, being the guy to take the – uh, clutch shots in the end of games moving forward. No, am I glad that he hit a couple uh, against the Spurs because we needed them absolutely, and I think that does a lot for his confidence. Um, okay, so moving to maybe number three, um, I, I I wrote down halftime speeches because we we don't know exactly what was said, but Tyus Jones did when he talked with uh, Rob Fisher after the game. I sent the tweet to our thread, but um, when he was asked about. I don't know the exact question, but he said, uh, basically, like, how did you guys win? How did you guys pull this out? He says, you got to love it. Fight, belief, honest conversations at halftime. There were some honest convos that I don't think would have taken place earlier in the year, and that is growth. We realize that it's not personal, but we have goals as a team, and we weren't playing up to our standard by any means in the first half, and that's about the Spurs game. And I love that. I love that th- these guys now understand that um, – they're not just going to be able to um, to rally without a guy like Ja, unless they have some sort of, um, like you said, honest conversations at halftime, which I, I love. This shows the growth of a team. This shows that they're taking ownership. Jenkins probably loves this, too, because it's, it's uh, a coach's voice which we've seen time and time again, no matter how good the coach is, the coach's voice can get stale when he's saying, you know that Jenkins is one that's going to just repeat himself, um, which right. it's all good things. We're, I'm glad to have a coach like that who preaches certain principles that he wants people to abide by, but it's on the players. And I think that seeing or having Tyus especially step up, um, seemingly a, a guy who leads more by example than you would say vocally, but he's the one who's saying this, um, and we've, we've had – uh, reports of Steven Adams in the locker room uh, to stepping up, but I just think that this shows a team that's starting to mature, starting to understand that um, that honesty is the best policy, and holding wow. each other accountable is really important. And so, that I was I was very encouraged that that was the message that we got after the game. The biggest tournament in college basketball is underway, and the action is just getting started on DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any pregame Moneyline bet and score $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Plus, combine multiple bets for a shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings will be featuring parlays and odds boosts all tournament long, so be sure to check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day to see what they have in store. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code TBPN. Right now, new customers can bet $5 on any pregame Moneyline bet and get one hundred and fifty dollars in bonus bets if your team wins, only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details.
1: Right. And I think in a, you know, and then and I think we had this discussion a little bit, um, but but I do think that it's also good for people to realize as much as we've been consumed with the jaw news and the jaw off court and all those sorts of things, that there's still a lot of other players and team dynamics. And I think it's good that they can begin to work on some of these things. And it's not and it and show that it's not just related to jaw and all that distraction, that there still is just stuff about, you know, missing defensive assignments or not showing up with the right energy for a game that they should definitely win. And so I'm glad that honest conversation happened. You know, I don't know if we'll get any more details about who said what or when, you know, hopefully, I mean, I, the, you know, the, the fan in me wants to know, but honestly, the fan in me also hopes that there are no leaks and that they are a tight locker room. And, um, and I think uh, Ty's did a good job of kind of revealing uh, behind the curtain a little bit, but without giving anybody any, any uh, specific info. Uh, but so it was very encouraging to me as well.
0: Yeah. And just to show, like, it, it would have been very, very easy to just roll over when you're down 29 on the road. And you know you have a game coming up the next night against the Warriors. Like any anybody in, presented in that in that circumstance would just basically say like, "What is the business decision here?" And it's to to give up. And they didn't do that. And so this reminds me of um, of a game earlier in the season. I, I believe it was against the, the Suns when we were down big. It didn't end up like pulling that game out, but it shows that we have the fight and we're willing to at least try on the road with the, with the group that we have. So, mm-hmm. um okay, what was another thing that you observed?
1: Uh, okay, I'm trying to look and see which one uh I want to talk about, but uh I'll I'll just say um you know, Bane being better, uh just more consistent, not uh this this was the first week. I mean, it probably started last week a little bit. Um with Bane hitting a couple clutch threes. And some big shots in the fourth quarter last week, but this week it felt like Bane just was consistent through four quarters in a way that he has not been. And I don't know if he's just pushing through that toe injury, if maybe that was more in his head. Um, but this has been the first week where I felt like, okay, um, Bane's kind of ramping it up, and I feel like the energy that he is uh, playing with in the in the fourth quarter is matching the energy he's coming to the game with because it's usually. Man, he is so aggressive in the first quarter, and it just feels like it faded, faded, faded. Um, but I just noticed things in the second half, especially uh, being in person for the Warriors game, uh, of him just being more aggressive, um, him constantly wanting to guard, uh, like wanting to switch on to a Clay Thompson or a Jordan Poole when he was hot in the third quarter, that like Bain was wanting to take that assignment on. I just think that there's this, uh, him, him being like, I want this. We need to win this game, this aggression, uh, I, and I've really liked it. And just him, you know, and him weirdly – and this kind of this kind of merges into another point, so I'll just throw it in here because I think it makes sense. Um, but, you know, one of the big things about the Heat loss to me was we settled for a lot of threes. We, we kind of were going through the motions, and we weren't hitting shots, and they were hitting shots – and it kind of just unraveled. We stopped playing good defense. Um, and I just feel like the the other three games, we just relentlessly attacked the rim again. And I think in the absence of Jaw and Steven Adams, and then now, especially losing Brandon Clark, we kind of got away with from that for a while. And you don't think of any of our other players, like a Jaren, like Bain, Um, and others, uh, and Dylan, as people who attack the rim. And I feel like these last couple games we got back to, like, our team identity of lots of paint points, attack the rim. And it's not shocking to me that as we did that, our our three-point shooting actually improved, as I think we got better looks. But I've just loved Bane is, like, doing the kind of a semi, I feel like, jaw impression of just relentlessly attacking the rim again and again and again. Um, And I've loved to see, and like you said, it's amazing sort of the angles. He doesn't always make it, but once again, that attack of the rim, I think we have uh, done much better, like Tillman especially, has attacked the offensive boards off Baines' drives well. And uh, and I just love seeing it. He's gotten a lot of foul calls as well, so that's been exciting to me to see Bain just kind of come up more uh, clutch in the fourth and just attack the rim relentlessly, um, which has been really cool. Because I'm like, man, when we get Jaw back, I wonder what this looks like if we have two guys attacking the rim like this.
0: Yeah, nine of seventeen from two point range in the Spurs game, and to me, I wanted to. I, I specifically wrote down overtime Bain because he he did have the eight points that won the game in overtime for us. Uh, he had four four field goals made, and the rest of the team had three combined. And so just to have him in that clutch spot, which he didn't exactly have the best second half. He only had seven points, was three for eight in the second half in the, against the Spurs, and then just absolutely turned it on and did what he yeah. needed to do in the fourth quarter. The only missed shot, uh, to your point, in overtime was a three-point shot that he took. And if I remember correctly, it was near the end of the shot clock, um, so just like attacking and um, when things aren't going well from the outside that's just what that's I mean we say we say it like it's a novel concept, but with this team, especially when you watch the heat game, which was so frustrating because bolster is such a smart coach, he knew that he was just going to pack the paint, maybe play this little zone um, that just and, and the Grizzlies were just letting it fly, and after a certain point, I was like, well. Can we just do something different? Like do we have to just play right into their hand? Um it's Bane especially which wasn't um wasn't on fire and so he, it's not like we're punishing them for playing this way and so that was why it was so frustrating. But to see them change the way that they started to play um with the intangibles that I just talked about in my last point with that halftime speech, but also just like some tactical changes as well to how they were attacking. So that was that was really exciting to see. I'm so <laughs> Each each game, I mean, I've I've completely given up on on my uh, future with Bain right now, and it's so frustrating because it was uh, it was twenty two points per game, uh, twenty two plus was the, was the bet, and it was like a eight and a half to one at the beginning of the season that I took, and it just like he's been hovering at like twenty one point four for literally the last three months. And and just the, the injury really hurt that because uh, I, I thought that was just locked uh, moving yeah. in. But every every game that he scored, like, for instance, in this first game, he had 21 total points. And I was just like, oh, this hurts. Um, it's not going to happen. I just have to come to grips with that. Yeah, so, It's too um, bad
1: they can't, you know. He, the other thing is, I mean, he's taken on those point guard responsibilities and so that's probably hurt as well. I mean, his, his assist numbers have actually been really impressive uh, since John went out and he's had to kind of do the backup point guard responsibilities and again it's one of those things that I'm excited about what that means uh you know going forward with his kind of playmaking uh but that definitely has hurt your your 22 points he's he's making plays for others more than for himself
0: <laughs> I wish there was just like a spirit of the award that I could get yeah. at least get maybe like a little bit of it but no that's not how it works yeah. in Vegas no. um Okay, so those are the – I mean, the big three to me were, like, the Jaron Dillon-Bain performances, and now we can kind of get into a little bit more of the details. So, like, Ty's Jones was who I had written down here on my, like, fifth of ten from the weekend, and he just – the triple-double, first career triple-double against his brother uh, in that Spurs game. I just thought that he played the role of just the solid point guard taking what the defense gave him. He did – he hit three threes, which is good, three of seven – from there but just overall controlling the game I thought that he is just a steadying presence for this team especially in times of of turmoil on and off the court and it was just great to see I just wanted to shout out Tyus for his role in that Spurs game and and then coming out the next night and putting up 13 and 14 which I'm I'm pretty sure the 14 assists was also tied a career high, if not surpassed it. So just like two great Tyus games in a row, uh, just putting the team exactly where they need to be for success.
1: Yeah. And and I think he's just been super steady. I just had Tyus steady is kind of, um, and we, you know, we take it for granted, uh, but he is, and you know, the hope is with jaw coming back uh, you know, that that's not discouraging for Tyus and that he can kind of take the aggression and, um, this, the the play that he's had here of late with with getting to play 30, 35, even 40 minutes. Um, and he can bring that in his 10 to 15 minutes, uh, maybe even more. Um, but also the hope is that as we get more in the season then obviously in the playoffs, you know, so much of the early year I think was hard for him because he was, he was struggling a little bit with his floaters, but then also he was having to work in all these new players. We were playing all these young guys, and then the playoffs – he's going to be getting those backup minutes with Jaron and Bain on the floor with some other guys. Um, and so hopefully he can continue that production and almost feel like, cause we're going to be playing all our best players more that, that he's not having to kind of carry some young guys, but actually uh, be able to, you know, basically do what he's doing now, but just, you know, in less minutes. All
0: right. What'd you have next?
1: So, uh, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's pretty, uh, uh, it's kind of the story that the fan base has taken hold of, but the the play of David roddy has been very exciting um We've been looking for that one bench guy the 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 x factor who might be able to come in and change a game um he's one of two i you know and you might get to the other one but uh but for me david roddy has it's been uh, it's been nice it's kind of like a weird parallel to the way. We felt about Zaire last year that around this time last year, Zaire started to pop. He started to have some games where he hit multiple threes, made some plays. You know, the big difference is, you know, for Zaire, it's kind of these above the rim, um, you know, rim running dunks and fast break points. But for Roddy, it's more about physicality and kind of, you know, rolling through people. Um, And, uh, but, you know, the big thing has been his shots been hitting. And, you know, uh, you know, weirdly, Aldama's has kind of been not hitting as much at the same time. Uh, the good thing is of those two guys in the playoff series, we just need one of them uh, to play well. And, and the good thing is that Jenkins will, you know, that'll be him trying to figure out who's playing well. Uh, but I think Roddy's been great and it's been exciting because it's like somebody who, okay, maybe we can put him in a, in a playoff situation and, you know, for those eight, 10 minutes and him perform and, and again, I'm always looking for not just are you hitting threes, but what else are you doing? And for him, it's he's been playing good defense. He's been getting on the boards. He's been getting on the floor to get after loose balls. Been taking, getting, get did a couple Kyle Anderson impressions of of the steal, uh, the steal layup. Uh, so that those are those things that I'm good. But I've just been excited. Uh, loved the Roddy chant. Still find that hilarious. And uh, my only thing is. Just because we're loving Roddy now doesn't mean you have to hate on Conchar. So that's been my only, the sadness, uh, and I felt that, uh, and this, again, I, I'm merging my 10 things a little bit here, but uh, I there were some grumblings at the last home game of people getting annoyed that Conchar came in before Roddy. And again, it's, I think it's because of some annoying uh, grizzly media people on Twitter that have been pushing this Conchar hate. Um, again, Conchar is an extremely plus positive minus by the way he plays two he's been playing uh with Bain to help with the point guard duties and him and Roddy are not in competition Roddy plays a four Conchar plays like a two um you know do not make this a Roddy you know Conchar thing can we just like all our players they've all they all contribute to winning and so but with that staying on the positive um Roddy's been exciting I think having another guy in our rotation that we might be able to put in and get playoff minutes um, and do something has been really fun to see.
0: Also, not that we won't call out Jenkins when he makes mistakes, like in the most pivotal moments of the playoffs, but I do think that you're going to see a lot of this equal out in the in the play. Yeah. Like I don't think that he's going to stick to his um structure if you will for the regular season when it comes to playoff time. We saw that. I mean, we're seeing it right now actually. I mean, everybody's yeah. forgetting about Zaire Williams. But how much how much do you have to be in confident uh and, and secure in where you are? To take out a guy who is a top 10 pick just two seasons ago and is now not even in the rotation, is on the G League for the past weekend, like, you really do. I mean, it, everybody, mm. I would say, it, everybody who's worried about their job would need to make sure that this guy is featured and we give him every opportunity to either succeed or fail. But they've yeah. pulled the plug at this yeah. point. And I'm not sure we're gonna see Zaire in the playoffs. Like I really yeah. am that's a big question to me. And so I don't I don't enjoy the he can't adapt conversation right. because they've adapted. And again, we will be the first to to critique if it's not that way in the playoffs. But that's just one point I wanted to make. And I think you might have been alluding to this player because he was next on my list, but Luke Kennard. Is that who you're talking about? Yep. So Luke Kennard, to me, has shown in the last couple of games that not only is he uh, exactly what we thought he could be from three, but he's actually contributing in a lot of other ways. And I just point to the second half of the Spurs game and overtime. By the way, he was in the closing lineup in both of those situations, and I think you have this really great versatility uh, lineup-wise, when you have Tyus, Bain, Dylan, and Jaron, you know those four guys are going to close for you. But depending on the matchup, we have a guy like Santi who can come in if we want to play big. He Santi can also shoot. Obviously, he's cold right now, but he can um, yep. on average. But then you also have Luke Kennard if you want to go small, and that we know that guy can can shoot. And then you have Roddy, who if, if Roddy's hot, he can play either the four or the two. Like There's, there's just this yep. great versatility between Kennard, Aldama, and Roddy that you're seeing in the past few games. And we found something, I think, in this rotation. But Kennard had the hot hand. He's four for five in the second half uh, against the Spurs. Hit that really big three um, to get it within three uh, against the Spurs down the stretch. And then, again, he follows it up in the Warriors game. had four rebounds, five assists, um, 14 points over the course of the game. Was four for eight from three. And just – it's been a pleasure getting to see Kennard as somebody we know – that when he comes in and he has any sort of opening, he's a guy that you know it's going to go in when he puts it up. So that's yeah. he, I just wanted to give him a shout-out.
1: Yeah, and I loved the Warriors game one, getting paint points, had a little pull-up in the, in the paints, which is always good to see. But my favorite, my favorite thing, it was going around Twitter a little bit, uh, was, was at one point um, in the first half, uh, we, he, he kind of had a run-out, and they threw it ahead to him. And he had the ball, and there was five Warriors on defense, and he was the only Grizzly on that side of the court, and he totally let it fly and hit it. And and to me, I, I was encouraged by that. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, if he'd missed, I'd have been annoyed that he just shot a three-on-one-on-five. But... I felt like what that was, was there was a hesitation when he first came over. And I think finally the, you know, we finally have, Jenkins finally has a let it fly player that we really do want to let it fly. Um, and I think he is, uh, the Spurs and the Warriors game, I'm hoping and we're going to look back and think these were the games where, you know, even honestly with the Spurs, just out of a desperation, it was like, we got we to score some points. Just it's whenever you get it, put it up. And because that's, he's such a good shooter. We need that from him. We need him to put up shots uh, when he gets open, no hesitation. Um, You know, we're going to be fine if some of those are misses. I think he had a very different uh, role for the Clippers. I think there was more of a, you need to be wide open when you shoot it. And and we're much more, look, you know, if you get, if it's a swing swing and you get it, we need you to put that up. Uh, That's how our offense works. And I think he's starting to get that. So I was very encouraged by him and just by the confidence with the, with which he's playing. And like you said, he's going to be somebody who there are going to be matchups. And you know, like the warriors were hunting him big time. I mean, he, he was definitely struggling um, when Poole or clay or, or Steph saw him, they were going at him pretty good. But if he's hitting on the other side, it's worth it. You know, it's worth getting out there and, if, and he's trying hard. I think we, st- I still see him at times And I think there is some obviously just he's not a defensive liability a little bit. But also, as we've seen every year, our defense starts off slow and ramps up because I think we have a lot of very set defensive principles that we run. And I think each game he's going to get better at understanding what we're doing defensively and the fact that he has a guy like Jaron behind him and to trust that. And so I'm hoping he's going to get better and better team defense-wise Um, he's always going to be a struggle. And that's going to be one of those things where there's, we're going to have a playoff series where Kennard might not play that much, but then we're going to have a playoff series where he might play a ton. And that's kind of what you're talking about with the Roddy, Kennard, Aldama, like this is going to be where Jenkins coaching is tested and stuff. And, and people just need to be aware. We don't need to be anti any of our players or anti Jenkins rotations. We just need to realize, uh, you know, part of a playoff series is figuring out, you know, what matchups work well. And obviously for the Warriors and the Spurs, canard in the lineup playing heavy minutes were, were huge, you know, because those were teams that don't punish us in the same way, you know, that, that maybe other teams will.
0: All right. I have a take for you Kraft. And no there's something that I really don't, don't love in, in sports media. And it's the, you see a super small sample and then you make a proclamation about said sample, like it applies to everything, but, and this is going to sound like I'm, you know, buying the stock at its peak, but I'm willing and I'm ready to make the take that the Grizzlies have officially won the, the Anthony Melton trade as a result of the performances of David Roddy and Luke Kennard. Because if you remember, what they got in return for Melton last offseason was the draft pick that became David Roddy and then Danny Green, who we've now flipped for Luke Kennard in that trade. And I'm saying right now today, both regular season and playoffs, I would rather have both Luke Kennard and David Roddy than one Anthony Melton. And I think that you see the uh, the skill that we wanted Melton to progress with his three point shooting. You're seeing an elite three point shooter with Luke Kennard. and then all the little stuff, the Mister Do Something stuff that Melton brought to the table, we're seeing with David with David Roddy. Um, so the Kennard shooting uh, has replaced Melton shooting, and then the David, the little stuff has been replaced by David Roddy. And I just think that, um, especially given that there are two of those guys versus just one of Melton. And so that automatically spreads out the risk of whether one of them's not playing well, maybe the other is. But when they are both firing on all cylinders and doing what they do best, I think it's way more than Melton uh, could have given us. And there's also the positional versatility as well that both that especially Roddy brings, but you also have that with Kennard. So I'm ready to proclaim the Melton trade has been officially won by the Memphis Grizzlies. What do you think about
1: that? <laughs> I, I like the take. I don't know if I'm uh, 100% there, but I'm getting there. I mean, I I tend to trust our front office, so I tend to always think, um, you know, even when we don't win trades, you know, a couple things now that looks a little iffy, I still kind of understand the reasoning. Um, But I agree in the sense that, you know, and and it's still not, because, you know, next year, Kennard will be this uh, expiring contract uh, on a good value that you need to try to make some trades. And so I think it'll be an ongoing to see. But, yeah, I mean, I... If, if we get this David Roddy um, for four years on a rookie contract, uh, you know, that is unbelievable value. And, and I think he's been good for the 76ers, but he's kind of done his role. You know, um, you know, you find out on Twitter from people whenever he pops and has a big game. But I, I agree with you, and, and obviously my hot take from the beginning of the year has been proven correct that uh, our defense has not suffered and our turnover percentage and fast breaks are still basically where they were last year. Um, and so the loss of De'Anthony Melton and, and Kyle Anderson uh, as well have not affected those things. And, you know, and and so and, – and I would say that I trust Kennard, um yet see both Roddy, but I trust Canard more in a playoff situation and clutch situations um, with shooting, uh, you know, that he's – and he's a guy that we can, like – we might not play the whole second half, but then we can put him in uh, at the at the end of game sets and he's going to have to be guarded and accounted for. And I just think like when you're trying to get jaw last minute basket and hey, we have, we have Kennard sitting over there in the corner. I mean, that's, that's immediately a guy who is not leaving. Um, and so, and that is just something they would, you know, Melton will, would get left. And yeah. So, and
0: I think the contract piece is a really important part of this too, because am I saying that, uh, I'm confident Kennard and Roddy are going to give you exactly what you need in the playoffs. No, I mean, we haven't seen either of them in the Grizzlies' system in the playoffs yet, and they could underperform. But my counter to that would be, well, what what were you getting from Melton? You were getting an underperforming guy in the playoffs. And so the, rolling that forward to get a guy on a rookie contract, in Roddy, and then also have an extra year... To figure out what you want to do with the canard, on the Canard side, which you might want to keep him, you might want to keep him and extend him, and and right. keep him Grizzly for a while. So I, I just think that the optionality that they have moving forward, combined with the fact that these two guys are performing better than I thought that Melton has by himself, um, right. yeah, that's why that's why I kind of have that opinion. Um, okay, so I have three more on my list, and these are more kind of cleanups. So I'm just going to go through them really quickly, and then I'll let you finish out the list. We can do our 10-game yeah. predictions for the end of the season, and, uh, and then we'll sign off. So three yeah. things. Xavier Tillman has just been – as much of a constant as you could have asked for him to be in the last, especially like last 10 games. And I thought he showed that even more in the, in the Spurs and the Warriors game. I just wanted to continue to give him his flowers in that respect. Cause I mean, just unbelievable for professionalism to start the season and then to come in and be a guy that you can actually rely on to play start to, to play center minutes um, and he's playing up to, to the size of matchups that he's had to deal with and is just finishing around the rim a lot better, too. That's been his biggest kryptonite is, is just finishing around the rim. Uh, so I, I've been impressed by him with that. Uh, two more. Kenny Lofton. We actually saw some no. real minutes in the Spurs game in the second quarter from Kenny Lofton, and he was actually plus in those minutes. So I wanted to give a shout-out. Um <laughs> I'm definitely part of of the club K L U B with him, and was impressed uh, by his minutes. Plus five, like I said, four for six from the field. So he still got he got up six shots in that amount of time that he was in thirteen minutes. So shout out to him. Last thing, Clay Thompson continues to be the worst. Went luckily, finally we're getting some backlash online uh to yeah. the Warriors and then Klay Thompson just counting his rings on the bench as the Grizzlies were blowing out the Warriors in the fourth quarter and uh just I mean it's kind of it's kind of sad that this is what it's devolved to with Klay Thompson but he really is the worst warrior he's just somebody that I have have grown to absolutely despise from the playoff series last year and even the regular season last year the way that he uh just I mean there's there's nothing worse than just past performance being the only thing you can point to in like a current setting, and that being something that uh, for whatever reason has any bearing on like a game on a Saturday night in Memphis during the regular season. Like I get I get that the Warriors have earned whatever talk that they have given back, um, but it's just it's just a bad look in my opinion. Like you can't keep doing the same bit over and over and expect us to just be like, Oh yeah, you know what? He's right. Yep. You're right. right. Yep. I forgot about those championships. Um, I yeah. guess that the game tonight we're, we're not allowed to talk because of that, but no, yeah. I, I just think clay Thompson has just stayed the worst. And, uh, I will continue
1: to say he's washed clay. You're washed. No, yep. So well, that I mean, my list. What, what about no, you? I mean, I, I, I have a lot of hot warrior takes. I'm trying to, I'm trying to hold back on them in case we end up meeting them in the playoffs. But right now I'm wondering if they're going to make the playoffs. Honestly, Um, you know, they, they really have, uh, destroyed their bench. Um, it really is different when you look at who, what their bench was last year compared to this year. And honestly, I just think their core guys are just all year older. Um, you know, Steph's still been great, but you can see like when we, when he has an off game and and we have a guy like Dylan who can guard him. I mean, they, they really struggle. Uh, to score, and so and they 've you know I mean their record is i mean this is what I keep telling everybody about even the Grizzlies, you know like the fundamentals do matter like what your regular season record is matters like no you know it 's been if you 're not a top three seed in the conference you don 't win the title uh you know you you can 't play five hundred the whole year. I mean people talk about the regular season not mattering, but it does the regular season is extremely predictive for the playoffs, and, and that 's why I think you know i 'm I'm less nervous. I mean, I still feel – I still believe if we were fully healthy, we could have beaten the Warriors last year. Um, Again, no – zero minutes from our starting five in that Warriors series. Uh, But, yes, Klay Thompson does continue to be the worst. And I get it, four titles. And, honestly, they do have that title last year where I think they got a lot of breaks. Uh, But they're they're looking like a team that might be missing the playoffs three of the last four years. Um, And so that's part of the narrative too, not just the one title, but the three or four years – um, where they really really um, underwhelmed extremely. So, uh, oh, by the I way, Clay
0: Thompson minus thirty uh, in the game on Saturday yes. night, six yeah, or seventeen. Like- so,
1: last note there. Um, and for somebody, you know, and he talked a lot of trash uh, on that Christmas game, and and uh, you know, we've shown it. I've I've loved all the Warriors fans who thought who basically were like, we have the Grizzlies number <laughs> after them. Barely, you know, us being up by ten and then blowing that game uh, there. The second time we play them there, and then we've just absolutely destroyed them, I mean, like almost no doubters i mean that was that was actually one of my last things was that I felt like the last couple games felt very spursy to me, the old spurs uh like when in the professional win, but this but just this sense of a uh, weirdly because without jaw and without Brandon, and even a little bit without Steven we just. We don't have that athletic above the rim pop that we do, and so it's just been interesting to be like, no, we've just been killing uh, these teams with just uh, efficient, um, you know, uh, efficient playmaking, and it just reminds me of those old Spurs teams that never that weren't necessarily flashy, but you just looked up and Tim Duncan had the, had these unbelievable stat lines similar to what jaron has been doing. Um, and they just always made the right pass, the right plays, um, just killed you. And it's just like like that Warriors game was one of those where the Warriors made two or three runs where they cut it to like four, five, six. Uh, and then Jenkins would get a timeout, we'd come back out, and we'd go on like an eight oh run. And that was like classic Spurs to me, uh, all those Grizzlies years where uh, we would get it close, Pop would call a timeout, and they'd come out and do a run on us. and And that's been encouraging for me to see. Um, even without sort of our like flashy dunking players out there uh that we've kind of kept up that efficiency. And so that's been very exciting and just, and you know, and I've been saying it, I mean uh it's weird cause it's been a weird season Um and we're getting, and this is my transition into our preview for the next 10 and predictions, but like we're still really good. We're second in the Western conference. Uh You know, you, you do the normal stats. I like the cleaning the glass, which has us number 10 in offense and number one in defense. Um, And, and so even with yours, with number two in defense, you know, in an average offense, like we're, we're a really good team. We have a great net rating. And despite all of the craziness, not getting our starting five to play together very much, we have a good record. We're competing. Weirdly, we're kind of coming back into the one seed, honestly, but we're competing for a two seed. Um, And so I just think it's been, it was been a very encouraging week after just chaotic and at times really discouraging uh, at, honestly, 2023, um, it's been good to see the last couple weeks of Grizzlies play. It's just been very encouraging for me. All
0: right, let's finish out with our 10 game prediction. We both predicted six for the last 10 games, and it was exactly that. So six and four. Um and then Which we are is crazy, now. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was we a went weird six, six and
1: four with all the chaos. This the second of those ten games was the Denver game, uh, where we lost Brandon Clark and then lost Jaw to us. you know when he went viral with the club. So it's it's been a crazy last ten games.
0: That's right. And so what we're gonna do is we're we're gonna go game seventy one through eighty, and the reason why we're not doing the eighty one and eighty two games is because the last two games of the season, you have no idea who's sitting out, and we're playing against the Bucks, for example. They'll probably have the one seed in the Eastern Conference locked up, and nobody plays in that game. And then at the Thunder, who knows where we'll be at that point? Whether or not we need to win that game. So, um, the seven or the ten games that we're going to be looking at are tonight against the Mavericks at home, the two Rockets games Wednesday and Friday, both at home this week, uh, at the Hawks next Sunday. Uh, home against the Magic, two home against the Clippers, and uh, at Chicago, home against the Blazers, and then at New Orleans on April fifth. And so that's what we're looking at. Uh, seven out of the ten at home. I, I I can't remember who went first last time, but I'll I'll go ahead and give mine this time. Kraft, given our success as a home team, and also. The three road teams we're playing are Atlanta, Chicago, and New Orleans, none of which are having an inspired end to this regular season. I'm going to predict the Grizzlies are going to go eight and two. The oh, I love it. Games.
1: <laughs> I love it. So you're you're more confident than me, honestly. Um, so I already wrote down seven and three, uh, but then Dame basically coming out and saying the Blazers are done makes me want to change it to eight and two, just because. Uh, even though that was a game, I think I had us winning. Um, I'm going to stick with seven and three. Um, I, I actually would love to see the Grizzlies, um, you know, uh, go eight and two. I want, I mean, I, 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 I want to do that, but I'm just going to go conservative. I'm going to be weirdly conservative and go seven and three. I mean, what's interesting is I do one of, you know, one of the Clippers home games, depending, um, on our health, but I, we're going to be favored in all 10 of these games, I believe, um, you know, I would expect. Uh, I, I'll be weird. Honestly, it would be weird to me if we weren't favored in both the Clippers game, giving our home record. But, uh, but who knows? Um, so, with that said, I'm going to go seven and three. But I like your eight and two. And honestly, um, I, I wouldn't be. It wouldn't be crazy if we went ten and zero. Um, because, like I said, we're going to be favored. I mean, teams don't do that often. So, um, and who knows what's going to happen? Stars rest and other things. But I'm going to go seven and three. Uh, hope you're right and I'm wrong.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy into the, sch- to the schedule. The Kings can't seem to lose, and we're right now tied with them. Um, and they have about the same level of schedule as they do. Unfortunately, they're playing at Portland twice, and right. yeah, with Dame getting shut down, that's that's unfortunate. And then they also have games against the Spurs, Pelicans, Mavs. Which who knows? I mean, they're at the Mavs. I'm su- I'm sure that the uh, Dallas at that point will need to win. And then a couple games against the Jazz, uh, right. home against the Celtics, and then Phoenix as well in the schedule. So, I mean, if you look at the, the records and standings, I think the Grizzlies have a very slight edge in terms of strength yeah. and schedule. But yeah. overall, the Kings just can't seem to lose, and it's going to be a battle down the stretch. And to me, I don't even know at this point in the season who, because the, the middle of the West is so jumbled, we yeah. do not know sitting here today you might have an opinion on this i don't of whether i would even want the number two or the number three seed because it may i personally might take the more favorable matchup in the first round because you know if the kings are going to be in the second round presuming that they even win their first round series then i would be fine with having a home court advantage with the kings um or excuse me them having a home court advantage against us so that's that's one thing to, to watch out for is like, it's great. It's better in a vacuum to have the number two seat, yeah. obviously, but we need to see how the matchup shake out first. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I think the only, um, the only thing I think I know is, is I'm pretty sure though. I don't know. I mean, Suns without Kevin Durant, they do not have a lot of depth and watching them lose to the thunder last night. I mean, I still think they're going to hold on to that four, being in that four five. And I think they're the one team, even though I think I do have confidence Uh, playing them just because of lack of playing together and just all these intangibles that I believe in culture-wise. Like, I wouldn't mind playing the Suns, but I think if they're the one team that I would want, I would love to not have to meet until the finals of the conference and let Denver play them in the second round. Uh, But I think they're going to hold on to a 4-5. But man, everything else is just, who knows? I mean, it really is, I have no idea what we're looking at. And so I don't know. I mean, if we look up and it's like um and it's like the thunder grab <laughs> grabbed the six seed, um you know, dropping to the 3 is that worth it? I don't know. Maybe maybe it is. Uh I think I personally just with how amazing we are at home, I think I'd love to just secure the 2 seed and know that we have home court advantage against the Kings. Um but I do I you know, I would favor us even as a 3-seed against the Kings honestly just because I think I like the way we've played against them and and especially then the hope would be that we'd have Adams back too um if I knew we had Adams uh in 90% healthy I totally would favor us against the Kings um cuz I just think he dominates Sabonis but we'll see um but I just think at this point it sounds like uh health and playing well is what the Grizzlies are prioritizing above uh, above a matchup, and then even above chasing after the two, and so I think they just think if we're playing well and making sure our guys are healthy and not being overplayed, and we're kind of ramping up but not overplaying, that that we're going to be in a good place in the playoffs. So who knows what that means, but I do think we have a schedule where if we're going to gain some ground, uh, I think this next these next ten games, you know, could prove that because the Kings do play a few better. Uh, a few tougher games than we do, but like you said, it's it's not a huge. It's about the same. Slide edge does.
0: And next time we talk, presumably we'll have John Morant back on the floor, and so yeah. we'll see how he slides into the rotation and um, whether or not that is a clean fit. Right. Uh, that's based wh- on that's, how- that's
1: probably why I seven and three instead of eight and two. Is I, I'm just wondering if that will, there'll, there'll be some awkwardness there.
0: Yeah. Um, but we're ready to have job ja back overall because it does increase uh, cl- our clutch numbers for sure to have a guy like that you can go to. And obviously, um, with everything that's been going on with him, I'm very excited to see him back on the basketball court. Um, and hopefully, he can lock in as well for the playoffs. Well, this has been another fun episode. I'm glad we got to recap two of the most exciting games of the season, and we are in the last stretch. of of this regular season with playoffs coming up less than a month Uh, we will talk to you very soon i'm not exactly sure when but we will be back with you soon to recap games from this week preview ahead and see where the grizzlies are in this jumbled western conference so for Kraft, i'm will
1: thanks for joining us